Hello and welcome to another episode of We Lick Brushes. I am Tim. And I am Troy. And we lick brushes. Why do we lick brushes? Well, you know, because. Why, why, why do you want to know? Why do you keep us asking us that? Some of us do. Some of us don't want to tell you and we don't have to. It's, you know, it's, it's our choice, ultimately. Um, but that besides, it is time to talk about some Warhammery goodness <laughs> and some hobby stuff. Um, uh, so let's crack right into it. How you been, Troy? You were off in the, in the wilderness for a while. I had to actually do a, a show with James Page. I was. I was. Uh, and when you say wilderness, that's not far from the mark at all. Um, I was along the Czech-German border, more or less, and uh, it's got the nickname Little Siberia, the Upper Palatinate, so I'll leave you to imagine <laughs> how wilderness that is. <laughs> okay, on the scale of um, downtown Auckland to uh, middle of the Coromandel Wilderness, where would you say it is? Ooh, probably okay. If we if we look at Auckland as the ten and the Coromandel Wilderness <laughs> as the one, I was probably mm-hmm. sitting in around the three. Very okay. picturesque, but uh, five thousand people and something like sixteen breweries in the region. It's very very German. Okay, okay. So let's call it. Let's call number three the fielding. It, it can be the fielding of the German Czech border. Let's go with that. That's a reference out there for all you uh, men or two boys. Um, Cool. I was going to say, there's a a tiny percentage of people who will get that. (laughs) Which is is a bit depressing because they make up 80% of our listening numbers. Oh, do they really? Have you been looking at the numbers? I've been crunching the numbers and those three guys from uh, from Palmy. Yeah, thanks, guys. We we (laughs) couldn't do it without you. Um, right. So, but, but enough of New Zealand, enough of our quaint little part of the world. Let's ne- talk about. Never enough. No, let's talk about the Grimdark because we cannot get enough of okay. the Grimdark. What's been going on in um, the 40k universe? Well, it's, it's all kicking off, uh, with the, the upcoming release of Vigilous Defiant, the new campaign book. There is going to be a lot of new content for 40k dropping and, I am super looking forward to it. It is it is oh, in the blood at the moment. God, I love a good campaign book. And I you've been you've been posting lots of um, Mechanicus, lots of Sisters of Battle. What what's going on there? Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like from the snippets that we've got so far, and some of the the the, the shady leaks and reveals and what have you that the Imperium are kind of front and center on Vigilus, as they tend to be. I mean, Vigilus Defiant represents, a, I think, an interesting step for Games Workshop. You know, they, they said early on that they really want a version of 40K which will just stand the test of time, that they can just throw stuff in where they need to without changing the core rules. So the campaign book, I really think, is going to be it's it's a pillar, you know. It's going to set the tone for how the next few years of releases go. So obviously, the Imperium comes first in that, you know. It's just right. it is the nature of the setting. So, Mechanicus and Sisters and Imperial Guard are all sorry. Astra Militarum. I'm going to get my terminology right before someone <laughs> smacks me for it. Um, and then the old hands come along and they go, no, it's the Imperial Guard, son. And I'm like, yeah, you're right about that. You cannot please everyone. 
Yeah, I know. And I've given up trying. So it's the Imperial Guard. I'm an old fart. I'll, I'll own that. But, um, <laughs> they've, <laughs> Hats and they've put the sisters. Oh, yeah. They've put the sisters of battle right front and center of the, the conflict of the law that's taking place so far. So for them to be banking such a big part of what I think is going to be the, the release style for a little while. On Sisters, I'm really looking forward to that upcoming release as well because it, it's it's a big confidence booster that they, you know, Games Workshop and the Citadel, uh, all the, all the tooling behind the Sisters and that they've got a they've really got to believe what they've got coming is fantastic. So I'm ooh ooh, it's exciting. That's awesome. And any word about um, space dwarves or space hobbits? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I, I'm just trying to illustrate my level of laymanship with 40k. Oh, yeah, no, you can never, you can never have enough weirdness. But <laughs> it, you know, you mentioned it though, and it does, it does remind me that um, Vigilus is different to the campaign settings that have come before in the fact that instead of a single planet where they turn around and they say everybody is here. You've got your Necrons, your Orcs, your Tau, your Dark Elder, and it's just this massive mosh pit of bad guys. They've they've chosen to concentrate on a much narrower slice, and I think the temptation will be, you know, I think we're going to hear from Tau players and Necron players saying, "Oh, I didn't get anything this time." Well, I'm I'm pretty certain you'll get something good the next time around, and narrowing the focus. To, to tell a single coherent narrative rather than, all right, everybody's got to have a reason to be there. Yep. That's going to give, I, I hope, a, a tighter sort of campaign. You know, it's going to make more sense. And right. a rarity that is often lacking in 40K is sense. So, <laughs> hooray. <laughs> it's, just, it's really funny because it, it's this is all striking – um, a familiar tone with the, how the Age of Sigma started. You know, you, you've, by necessity to start with, they just started with, you know, their poster childs, the corn and the stormcast, and then started adding these, um, the, the cast, if you will, as we go on. Um, and that's just, that's just how they did it. And it fitted that narrative. So it's interesting to see the 40k take on that where, you know, that it's just, this is what the story we're telling now. Not necessarily, you know, you can all be part of it, but what we're telling is about these guys. And it, it makes more sense, like a like any good RPG. Yeah, I think without having to go for the the scattershot approach, instead of having to write a three page blurb essentially for all what twelve, twenty, thirty armies, I f- I forget how many <laughs> how many there are in forty. Yeah, and have but- and have some of the, and have some of those narrative hooks not really make that much sense. And I'm thinking the storm of storm of chaos yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, I really, Medusa 5, uh, back in 2005, I think, was the last uh, worldwide campaign that I really took part in. And the hooks there were basically, there is something on this planet that everybody wants. And I don't know, man, how do you, how do you have something on a planet that undead robots, uh, newcomers to the galactic stage, all of the, how does everybody want one planet it it doesn't make sense it, now i'm going to have to take exception to this troy 
Have you ever heard okay. of a little unknown series called Dune? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with a short title like that, it's hardly going to stick out on the shelf, is it? Dune, nah, it's come on. an obscure on. thing. Okay. The, the spice melange aside, yes, what substance could there be? What, what, what could they be after? I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also hear, okay, I'm hearing spice. I get it. I get it. And I am, I am humbled by your, by your assertion. <laughs> but, um, in the scope of 40k, you know, I'm pretty sure that Necrons can't be making use of spice. But what do I know? What do I know? Man, anything could happen. This is 40k. Sense yeah. is, if you, if you show sense, you're going to be burned as a heretic. I should hope so. You know, you don't want to yes. be preaching anything like logic and decency. What, what is that? <laughs> right on. Is there any, so that's the campaign book coming out. Has there been any other releases that have getting you excited or, um, not even, even outside 40k? Is there any other, um, uh, game ranges or models that you're, you're getting into at the moment? Man, this year has just been nonstop awesome stuff. Um, <laughs> even going back as far as like the, the Idaneth Deepkin, uh, when they were released, you know, they're an army that I personally don't, you know, they don't gel with me. I wouldn't play them, but as somebody mm. who just likes cool models, when they hit the deck, it was like, whoa, these oh, are man. awesome. Not to jump forward too much, but when you bring up the Ideneth Deepkin, I've played my first game against an, a Deepkin army at Masters, um, and it just happened to be against one of the best model painters in the country, and what oh, he did nice. with that army was absolutely superb. Um, so big shout-outs to Bo. Man, you, you are a legend, and I hope you know it. That was amazing. Just very cool models with a very cool paint job. He's probably listening. Yeah, he might be yeah, one of our yeah. four. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's one of the one of the one of the um, one and a half people outside Palmy that listen. Hopefully, um, so thanks. We've we got to cater to listenership. Uh, we, we don't really talk about that too much. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that guy. Um, that half guy. I might get him on the. I'll try and get him on the show at some point. But um, yeah. yeah, the half guy. Um. Yes. So let's yeah, say no more about releases, about him. Yeah, it's just it has been a mad year, and everything that has come out has been really cool in some way. We had Deepkin, we had uh, Speed Freaks, and a bunch of the new Orc stuff. Uh, Blackstone Fortress just dropped, and the, right. the tragedy, the real tragedy. I want it so bad. Like Deep <laughs> Deepstone Fortress, uh, Deep. Blackstone Fortress, bloody hell. Uh, it's, it's just, it's ticking all the right buttons, but I can't go out and buy it because we're so close to Christmas. And if I have, yes. you know, you know, the, 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 the deal of, oh, you, know, yes. you have to wait. So, oh no. Uh, then we've got, you know, cracking miniatures coming out over Christmas. It's just, it is hard, man. It is very yeah. hard. <laughs> I hear. Um, the the other well, there's a box set of Slash versus Corn, isn't there? And that's got some pretty sweet models too. Um, uh, Wrath and Ruin is the name of that one. I yeah, think, Wrath and Ruin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is that 40k as well? Is it an Age of Sigma thing? Uh, you can play demons uh, in 
in 40k as well. Uh, yes. I've never, you know, I've never seen personally a 40k demon army on the table. And this is even back, you know, a couple of years. Everybody always uh. seems to play them for, um, for well, Warhammer Fantasy when it was and Age of Sigmar now. Yeah, yeah. I really don't. I don't think I've seen one geared uh, up for 40k. Probably, uh, I'm just thinking Dan Maguire plays them a lot. Um, of course. Uh, he, yeah. So he's. <laughs> He's probably he's he's one of the exceptions to most rules, old old Maguire. Um, hey Dan. He he loves his demons and he plays them in both game systems quite happily. Well, no, because you can put them on round bases. How easy yes. is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Cool. So obviously a lot to look forward to. I'm looking forward to early next year. Um, you know, when we think back to the first armies of 2018 that started coming out, I think it was. Um, Nurgle that they started and we were just talking yes. to, to James on the way back up from from Kapiti. Uh so many awesome stuff this year and you know we can speculate some of the easy ones that are coming out there'll be a Moonclean Grot army there'll be a Dark Oath style army Slanesh is obviously coming up um, I'm really looking about what, to the Dark Oath stuff yeah but then last year we had these ones which you couldn't predict, like a like a new Beastman book, you know. So we've got the prospect of any of these old school factions just getting a, a quick book and one or two units to fill it out, and then something completely out of the deep blue, like I don't have Deepkin, which we just cannot see coming. Um, so just really excited for what's could be coming. I was really impressed with the uh, the operational secrecy around the Deepkin, like. There was all the usual yeah. jokes about oh fish elves, fish elves, but when it dropped, when the when the trailer and the reveals really started happening, I remember the the genuine awe of wow, who saw this coming? So yeah. it really makes me wonder what else is lurking there that we just haven't figured out yet. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. I would say if you're keen on this kind of rumor mongering, um, uh, looking for Easter eggs. Just read the the latest army books that come out because I don't know if Deepkin were hinted in some of like you know um, the Daughters of Cain books and one or two other ones, so the clues will be there. Um, cool. Um, right, you are also the Bob Ross. In addition to being a 40k fanatic, you are the Bob Ross of wargaming <laughs> painting. You host a successful YouTube channel, which last I checked was up near 12,000 subscribers. It's insane. Um, I, I don't know what's nuts. happening. Very scary. Yes. Um, so, would you like to impart some of the wisdom that you regularly um, share with your uh, with your fanboys and girls and everything oh, else? Sure. What have you got for us today? Well, this has come up a few times in just a couple of days. Um, very recently, Warhammer TV put up a, uh, what do you call it? A tutorial for what they call Battle Ready Crimson Fists. And it was simply overbrushing blue and it was like five paints. You know, you can, you can have a space green on the table with five paints. Now I took that and I did a single dry brush of blue over the top just to bring out some of the edges and then I gave it a varnish. And there is something about the way that varnish changes how a miniature interacts with light. And you will get a, this is really nice depth to a color. So I dry brushed on quite a, quite a bright blue at the very edges. And then once it's varnished, you get this transition, which is really quite simple to achieve. 
And I just want to, I want to point to two things, and that is dry brushing and varnishing. So okay. there's, there's a bit of a, a stigma still, and it's going away, which is lovely because I love dry brushing stuff. But sometimes people will say, oh, it's not really painting or, oh, it's, it's the basics. And well, yeah, man, you know, what's wrong with using, <laughs> what's wrong with using the basics? Uh, it will give you shading. It will give you highlighting. And I, I get people who comment that they are genuinely surprised when I tell them that something is dry brushed because I think there's a tendency to move away from it as soon as people find a new technique. And whatever is working for you is the right technique. You know, don't, don't let me tell you that you have to stick with something, but I think. To practice something a little longer and really put it in your toolbox as a, as a fundamental dry brushing can be an incredible tool. And like I said, you will surprise some people with your results. Now, varnishing is the flip yeah, side. And, oh, sorry. Yeah, just, to, just to touch on the, the dry brushing for a bit. Um, from my own experience, there's dry brushing. There's a, there's a quick slapdash dry brushing, which is nice to get paint on plastic in a very short amount of time. And then there's the finesse dry brushing, which is a which is a neater, targeted, you know, very little paint um, to achieve a very sharp effect or a very um, deliberate effect. Um, so I, I think I, I, I suspect that where a lot of the stigma comes from is, you know, this idea that it's a slapdash, you know, getting it done thing. But there you, you can explore the technique much further than just your workhorse, you know, um, yeah. get it onto the table, ready to play. <laughs> for real and when you mention like a a targeted dry brush that's that is the basics of how i paint most of my armies especially things like space marines you know larger miniatures that have nice pronounced edges uh you know chaos warriors or caradron overlords or stuff like that for for age of sigma as well uh, stormcast eternals of course <laughs> but um mm. The, the opportunity is there to use that dry brush in a slightly more targeted fashion and then to go back. And if there's anywhere that you really want to pop, you can use the dry brush as a guide for some final highlights. Because right. if you take your time and you're a little more careful, it's only going to catch the areas that you want to highlight anyway. So using it as a guide, as a, as a tidy up stage can actually be quite handy. Fantastic. And where does the varnishing come in? So I've used um, Lamy and Medium to mix paints um, to, to thin them down. Uh, Games Workshop have um, those, uh, what do you call them? The gloss paints, you know, the ones that go over top, um, glaze. Oh, yep. the, the glaze. Um, so there's that kind of thing. I've used uh, the Ard Coat varnish to make things like nails shiny or um, like make Mouth. something look like glass, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So how does how does that apply to to something like power armor? Does it is it adding is it letting the light hit it and giving you those highlights that way, or how does it work? Well, it's kind of funny because instead of going for a gloss or something that's quite flat like Lamy and Medium, a lot of people I know they they turn their noses up and they say, "Well, it's plastic. I don't need to varnish it." Well, the point is not so much that you're protecting the miniature in this case. You're you are changing how light interacts with it. And I use this two that I really like using, and that's uh, Vallejo's Matte Varnish and Citadel's own, uh, what is it called? Munitorum Varnish Spray. 
and they are both fantastic. The Vallejo one is a brush-on, and the spray, well, it's got spray written on the can, so I'll let you figure that out. And they both dry with a very slight satin finish. And I, I'm not a physicist. I cannot claim to know exactly what's happening, but my impression... <laughs> I know, I know. I've, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV, that sort of thing. But my impression is always that instead of light directly hitting a miniature and just reflecting back what is on there, it's kind of like diffuse lighting in photography, where the light hits the varnish layer and it scatters just a little bit across the surface and you get a much smoother return. So if you're dry brushing and you've given your model a shade and it still looks a little bit chalky, what you can do is hit it with that satin or matte varnish and you're going to get it. The varnish kind of tricks the eye and you get a much smoother finish overall. So don't think of it as a step just to protect your models, but it is a, a final painting step. It can be very useful for that. I thoroughly recommend having an experiment with some. Cool. So what are we talking about? We're talking about a, a base coat, um, a lighter dry brush, and then varnish over top. So is, is that is that the, the minimum? Yeah, well, that's, what that's, we're what talking about? that's what I did with this um, Jeez. This Space Marine. Um, you know, you do a – I did a sprayed on black, did a quick overbrush of Cantor Blue, uh, targeted dry brushing on the on the Emmerich blue, which is you know for all the edges, and then I spray varnished it. And I mean, you can check out my Twitter account for pictures of him. Uh, it is incredibly simple. What do you mean by overbrush? Um, just in case someone's not ah, familiar with the term. Of course, sorry. I always I always just assume, and it is the worst. It is the worst thing to do. Uh, overbrushing <laughs> is a technique similar to dry brushing except you want a little bit more paint on your brush. You want it to be slightly wet. And you yep. are flicking your brush backwards and forwards on the miniature, as you'd expect. But instead of with dry brushing only picking up the very high points of a model and any edges and fur trim and stuff like that, you are really painting the model, but instead just leaving the recesses. So right. it's a great way to get you know a base color over the top of something where you want to leave the shade, uh, particularly black and, and darker base coats. Right, so you're painting for coverage and you're leaving those recesses. Um, so it's, it's a nice, quick way of getting the second layer over your base coat. That's the one. Right, cool. Thank you for that. Um, and so you've, you've tried it on those um, Space Marines. What other models do you think this um, base coat, dry brush, varnish might look really effective for what are the types of models i would definitely like stormcast eternals is mm -hmm. an, an immediate win um particularly if you're doing a style that isn't a uh, metallic color like if you want to do mm -hmm. uh, celestial vindicators or something like that um, i have tried it on them and it looks great it's nice and simple um Sweet. chaos you know the, the slaves to darkness specifically the old chaos warriors uh, they can look really cool. Again, if you're not doing a metallic style, you know, it's it's more to get, I guess, kind of a, a lacquered, no, not lacquered armor. That's a little too shiny, but it will work for a lot of things. And now my brain has gone completely blank. 
<laughs> That's okay. I'm sure you could, look if if people are looking to see some of these techniques in action, uh, where can they go to find them? Uh, well, I mentioned uh, my Twitter account. You can find me at Sonic Sledge on uh, Twitter. Or if you actually want to watch the videos where I do these things, uh, search for Sonic Sledgehammer on YouTube um, or How I Paint Things, and you'll find me. There I am lurking on the internet. That is such a genius title. Why didn't we think of that for a podcast? So How I Paint Things. If you want to find out how to paint something, How I Paint Space Marines, it's, it's going to come up. That, that was quite ingenious. Well it was. It's not though. It's not like <laughs> as far as names go, because it, it all started just from wanting to show somebody's uh, over in America, literally how I paint things. So that was what I titled the video, and then it stuck. And now I'm seventy-five actual tutorials in, and I haven't come up with a better name. So I'm stuck with that branding. You know, I, that's me. I did. Yeah, I did not know you had that many in the can. That's some. That's really good effort. I was surprised wow. too. Like I looked back, and uh, yeah, seventy-five actual tutorials, and like a handful of little little talky bits in between. So there's a pretty decent chunk of uh, of stuff there. Fantastic. Speaking of Sonic Sledge content, you have um, been running um, uh, uh, a little initiative let's say which has yeah. garnered quite a bit of interest would you like to talk about this a little bit yeah well this was this was more of a collaborative effort uh, i don't want to to stand at the top and claim credit this this came about from again twitter discussion and uh we we called back to some of you might remember in white dwarf magazine the tale of four gamers where i actually have that i actually have those issues on my shelf are they classics? They're so charming. Yeah. I love those those, those stories. Uh, and the idea is that you have four guys who collect an army over a period. They normally run it for about four months, don't they? Yeah. And then at the end, they turn around and they've they've painted their armies. They play some games, and it's just it's it's a nice, encouraging way to see an army develop over time. I think it helps us to see things progress. You know, like, how many times do you, do you buy a huge army and then go, oh, I'm never going to paint that? And I think that's where you want to tackle you know, this, this four gamers thing from. Um, yeah, but- and it's, it's, it's breaking down your, your army building projects into just manageable little bite-sized chunks and seeing, that, seeing those, those milestones happen in those little um, – you know, more compartmentalized ways rather than having a whole army of gray plastic and, and it seeing like it's going to be an, an unmanageable feat. Yeah. You haven't got, you haven't got 2000 points of something to paint. You just go, well, this week I'm going to paint a single unit and mm-hmm. you do it and you've got a week to do it. And you know, it's, it's all about setting goals. And, and you get to share is, those as well. At the, end, at the end of every week, you share them, you get the feedback, you get the positive reinforcement for that little bit that you did. Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to try and do, uh, because we don't have the option, obviously, online of just meeting up for a game when it's all finished. <laughs> as cool as it would yeah. be, it's a bit of a trek to uh, where have we got. We've got you know people doing it in New Zealand, in America. Uh, one fella in Portugal, of all places, he's telling me that he wants to get started, and it's it's cool. So we thought 
as a way of sort of inviting everybody into it to call it Tale of More Warlords. And mm-hmm. the idea there, like you said, each week we're going to be doing a little something showing off progress. So what that's going to start with is uh, December 27th, so a couple of days after Christmas, when all of the surprises are out of the way, all the way through to January the 1st. So say all the way, it's only a few days, but uh, that is the pledge period. And that's where you say what you would like to do. Now, a lot of people have asked me, is it, is it specific to Games Workshop? Is it, you know, must I buy something new? And the answer is no. You can do whatever you would like. And if you want to use it as an excuse to clear some gray plastic out of the backlog, you know, drag something out of the cupboard. And uh, one fella, for example, he wants to paint 11 dreadnoughts. Um, I've got some wow. fella talking about, yeah, oh, they're cool. They are so cool. <laughs> um, but, you know, talking about painting armies, guys talking about painting Blood Bowl teams, uh, kill teams. So we've got that starting on January the 1st, and that's going to run until March the 1st. And that's your deadline for finishing whatever you have pledged. Now, I'm still up in the air about what I want to do. (laughs) Yeah. doesn't surprise me, knowing what I know about you. Yeah, it's it's so bad. And that's part of the reason I really (laughs) wanted to do this, is that it's, it's necessary focus. Tie me down to one thing and get the get the bloody thing done. Yeah. Fantastic. And so I take it because that pledge period's coming up in the next few months, it's obviously not too late to get involved. You can start thinking about your projects. And yeah. again, where can you where can you go to get involved in this? Is there a hashtag? There is a hashtag. Uh mostly <gasps> it's being <gasps> What are you doing? <laughs> Trying to uh, build it up. Make oh. it exciting. I'm so hashtags. bad at I'm bad, so at bad at marketing, you know, <laughs> hashtags and buzzwords and uh, analytics. Anyway, yeah. uh, for those playing along at home, uh, you can find it. It is on Twitter with Tale of More Warlords. And we discovered the hashtag will actually work on both Facebook and YouTube as well. So if you are uploading pictures uh, pretty much anywhere, then... What I would like to see people do would be to use the the hashtag on Twitter as kind of a collating method, just so we can see everything in one place. But if you are linking to external sites, uh, even imager galleries, if you turn around and you say, okay, here's my work this week, here's the hashtag, here's the link, then it's it's all up to you. It is designed to be as freeform and easy as possible. That's fantastic. I don't know if I can, if I'm going to have time to commit. Um, but I'm thinking at this point, I'm, I'm picking up a whole bunch of, um, Warhammer Underworlds warbands just to get yes. the cards, but I'm going to end up with, <laughs> I'm going to end up with four warbands. So why not? I'm not even going to use them in a game, but I do want to paint them. So yeah. I may end up just pledging a couple of warbands. Yeah. I mean, warbands are what? They're five to, five to seven models at most. Ah. Uh, Three to seven, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can do that across two months. I'm certain. I, I have every faith in you, Tim. Oh, I did a vo- I did a vampire lord on a zombie dragon in one week. Um, in the build up to masters, so I, I have oh, I have faith, dude. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, cool. That's very masters. exciting. Oh, as you were. 
Masters. Oh, you've mentioned that, and that's yes. what I, that's what I want to I hear have. about. Give me the give me the news. Okay. What, what happened? Oh, wow, very good. So I was um, running the Masters this year. Um, how that comes about, really by default, uh, just because um, myself and a couple of others saw the need for a, a rankings for Age of Sigma because some of the established. Um, people in the community didn't really want anything to do with it at the time. So because we've got the rankings, um, we are monitoring, you know, what's happening with Masters. And so we were, we got the first event sorted last year. Um, and it's this year, it was kind of a repeat. Um, but starting next year, it's Masters is going to travel around the country. So it's going to be Christchurch in 2019, uh, Auckland nice. in 2020. And um, yeah, just to share the love a little bit, because it's really hard for people to travel a lot of the time. Yeah, for real. Um, the website that we started is warhammernz.com, um, and uh, that's where we host our rankings and information about masters. And I really enjoy doing that um, because we've ma- I've made little badges for people who are the top in their allegiance. Um, and because uh, the 2019 rankings have started, uh, the rankings cut off is the 1st of November every year. Um, we had some events that happened after that. Um, but which will count towards next year. Um, the current highest ranked player for 2019 ran Order Draconis. Second is Moon Clan Grotz, and third place uh, at the moment is Legion of Asgore. Um, so it's really nice to see that early metagame, the Christchurch boys, with some unusual armies <laughs> up there. It's great. Moon Clan Grotz winning anything. Yeah. What is what is this yeah. world? Well, it's not necessarily winning, but it's coming at a high enough ranking. Um, at an event with enough players that you get those ranking points and yeah so you don't have to win events you, merely, merely participating and doing relatively well in large events can see, you know consistently will will give you some pretty good ranking scores hmm. um, and at the 1st of November each year we'll look at the top 20 and send out invite invitations um, to a masters tournament to see who's the best and if we don't get um, if not everyone in those 20 can make it invites will be sent to the next down the rankings and so on so I think we managed to get to 25 or so, rank 25, um, to make our field of 20 for Masters this year. That's not um, a bad turnout yeah. either. Like when you think about oh, you, really you asked 20 people and then you only had to ask five more to actually make this invitational event, that's that's a good turnout. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's And when, you, when you're playing games at that level, everyone knows what they're doing. It's a, it's a real different feel um, because people turn up to events for all sorts of reasons. They're not necessarily being hyper-competitive. They might just like seeing their models on the table or like the particular narrative aspect of that event. Um, so you sometimes get games where if you're a competitive player, you'll be playing two or three, you know, two or maybe three people who, you know, aren't really taking the, cutting edge competitive list and then you know having one or two or maybe three really competitive games but at masters all five games are against really really good players so it's quite an interesting experience um um, I'm gonna not pull punches the spoilers. I came pretty middling. I came 11th equal out of 20. Uh, <laughs> um, and I put that down to my list was okay. It was slightly off meta, which means it wasn't really going to compete against um, the really tough armies. Um, but the, what let me down most was just I haven't had that many games this year, and the difference that that made compared to the last Masters was quite noticeable. I think that's a really good sign for this game as a competitive game, knowing that you can just play that army and get better and you're going to 
achieve better results. And the guys that did really well have been playing at least one game a week for all year. Um, so I guess that's the hint. If you know, if you want to yeah. really <laughs> achieve, you can practice. It's not all about the list. Um, about although in this case, <laughs> sorry, Sean, in this case, the daughters of Kane list is pretty damn tough. So good job. Um, so Sean Tubman, who's um, one half of uh, the Notorious Hammer podcast, my friends in Palmy and Wellington, Sean and Sean. Um, Sean Tubman came first, uh, very well deserved, uh, with his daughters of Kane. Um, so I'm not going to cover any of the games because you can go and listen to Notorious Hammer. They cover a lot of how the event happened. What I thought I would focus on is some of the choices involved in running Masters um, just to help people understand how the scoring worked and that kind of thing. Um, and maybe in a later show, we'll talk about what things you, you know, what decisions you can make for running your own event and try and dispel the myth that Ooh. it's quite a hard thing and yeah, that kind of thing. Build that confidence. Okay. So we were lucky because our venue was sorted out by, um, Nick Jebson and the Carpety Club down there. Um, we were able to use the, the high school venue for a very good price, which means we could use, meant we could use a lot of the entry fees to go straight onto trophies. And we had Hooray. some really lavish, um, crystal trophies for first place and the best in the Grand Alliance and best painted army and the best game votes. Um, and we had lots of medals. Participation medals, ostensibly, but really just recognitions that, you know, the people that turned up to that event were the best for that year. And I thought it would be nice to have a little memento of that. Um, that, is, that is sweet. Yeah. And they've made the effort yeah. to be there too. So you can oh, say exactly. that they've shown up to defend their title, even if they didn't go away with a trophy. That's, that's cool. That's right. Absolutely. And this year I invested in a, a shield. Uh, you know, a big wooden shield where you put the Masters winner for each year and a little sort of engraved metal golden shield that goes on it. So um, that's kind of – that's something that's going to get handed to the different Masters as we go on. That's and, cool. And, um, yeah, so it would be quite nice to do. Um, cool. So our event was a five-round event, um, and that's really – you know, they say six rounds is sort of the minimum to get a statistical winner. But um, five rounds – if you've ever played Warhammer over a weekend – Getting two rounds on the Sunday is just a really nice way of wrapping up a tournament. Um, so I make no apologies about that. Uh, the rounds were three hours each because I just didn't want things to be a rush. Yeah. Um, uh, as it turned out, there were a lot of games that didn't go to time. So well, I guess as a community, we kind of need to figure out what we're going to do about that. Where you know, is the do, do we? Yeah, where's the middle ground? Because some armies really rely on that end game to... To, to balance their armies out. So if you're not getting to the fifth turn, then it really disadvantages some armies. So that's something to think about for next year um, when Christchurch host. Um, I chose the battle plans for this uh, for this event. Um, some events like to roll randomly out of the 18 that are available, but I just picked five that I thought, uh, with some feedback from others, were the most quote-unquote balanced. Um, and I, I recognize that any attempt to put balance in is just creating a different set yeah. of goalposts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that acknowledged, I, I just tried to pick the most generic ones um, because some of the scenarios do kind of have a, a twin. You know, the be, um, better part of Valor and um, oh, what's the other one? Um, the one where you burn objectives, you know, they're closely related, you know, oh, three places yeah, of power yeah. is closely related to, you know, they've, some of them have a little twin. So I picked better part of Valor, um, focal points, total conquest, three places of power and star strike. Um, 
Some people didn't like three places of power uh, because it benefits heroes too much. Um, obviously, it was really good for the daughters of Cain and had a quite, oh, quite a big impact in the, <laughs> in the overall standings because Marathi doesn't really die. She so can just sit on that objective and score all game, which is great. Um, and better part of Valor, you know, if you've got a fast army, they can potentially sweep up the board and burn the objectives and, and be over game one. But honestly, looking at the other options where, you know, it benefits wizards, for example, um, or there are double ups, it was really hard to come up with five that were as neutral as possible. So I'm quite keen to hear any feedback if anyone's got suggestions or you just rely on the, the roll it up. I don't know. It's, it's a choice you have to make and that's what we went for. Um, well, ultimately, the painting standard. Oh, sorry, you know, carry on. No, you keep going. Oh, I was going to say, you know, ultimately, you are always going to be hamstrung in some respect when you bring a specific army to a scenario that it isn't designed for, and whether somebody picks that or rolls for it, you might just end up at a disadvantage. And how you roll with that is really the more important decider. That's yeah, that's right. And so uh, the the scenarios were released well ahead of the lists being due. So all players knew exactly what okay. scenarios were going to be there before they wrote their lists. Um, yeah, the the painting standard, I did say that if there were any models that weren't painted, they were going to be removed prior to game one. Um, what I actually left in the pack was that to be fully painted, I needed a three-color minimum and based. And it turns out the three-color minimum is really... Uh, I think for most people is actually below minimum. And I think for next time, I'm going to have a pretty clear criteria on what a fully painted model counts as. Um, just because people put a lot of effort into finishing their armies and yeah. people travel a long way. And you don't really want to be playing against half-assed armies at this level. Really, that's to a lot of people, that's not where the hobby is. And I think we've got to honor that a little bit. There's a lot of discussion online at the moment in, in certain places about, oh, three-color minimum is... It's excluding people, and I i don't know, man. I know that people, some people want to treat it as a purely competitive aspect, and I'll spray my, I'll spray my guys red, and that's a painted army, but I don't know. A, a tournament, to me, it's a showcase of talents, and that does not just mean you're the greatest general. You know, it's, it's a, a multifaceted hobby. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, even you don't have to be the best painter in the world either. You know, you, you just need to get all the colors on the models. <laughs> it's, uh, and you can dry and, brush you know, them. To, to make it look good. You can dry. We've talked about some really – go check out the Bob Ross of painting, Sonic Sledgehammer on, on YouTube for, for some guidance on that. Um, maybe that's a topic for you, how, how to paint large numbers of troops in a, in a small amount of time oh. so that they look pretty good on the table. Agrax Earthshade. Next question. There you go. <laughs> If some, yeah, Agrax Earthshade, man. Um, the, the armies that we looked at this weekend could have really, you know, if they'd had some Agrax on them, um, I don't think anyone would have had a problem. So hot tips. There you go. Let's move away from painting because that's probably a subject all in itself. Yeah. Um, how the scoring worked. And we tried something a little bit different. Um, there's a great little website called tabletop.to. And that is a fantastic website for any type of tabletop wargaming um, where you, you manage your scoring for your event. As long as you've got internet access at the venue, you can use it on site. Um, the only downside is we had a player pull out at almost the last minute, and Ooh. it's not actually possible to delete a player from that once the draw was done. So I actually had to scrap that event and start a whole new event and you know put everyone's names and scores in again from scratch work. on the day. 
Yeah, yeah, we did it pretty quick um, because we're efficient like that. But um, I, I did get caught off guard, and that's my only suggestion for for I, I did post a feedback on it that just being able to swap players in and out would be really handy. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's fantastic. Um, we use the scoring from that, so twenty points for a major victory, fifteen for a minor victory, ten points for a draw, five points for a minor loss, and zero points for a minor a major loss. Sorry. Um, so those are the those are the tiers of, of points. And as it turned out, in the Masters, only one person scored for all five games. Um, I think they were all major wins and major losses. There were no minors. So that was interesting. That's significant. Um, yeah. Um, now, but so it's all very well if you've got one person who wins all five games. It's actually possible for more than one person, you know, for the winner to lose a game and, you know, be tied for tournament points. So you need to have ways of um, having tiebreakers. And I tried the new hidden agenda cards, which I think will be making an appearance in the next General's Handbook. And these are 12 cards with just extra objectives. Um, if you've been to any of the UK events, these might be quite familiar. They're things like uh, Terrify. You immediately complete this hidden agenda if an enemy unit is destroyed as, as a result of failing a Battleshock test. Or you get them for having a, one of your heroes survive or one of your heroes escape the edge of the battlefield. Mm-hmm. They're just like extra objectives on top of the usual scenario that you have to try to achieve in order to get that, that extra tiebreaker. Okay, so you've got those, uh, those 12, a deck of 12 cards and you pick one of them to be your agenda for that game and you cannot use that card again for the tournament. So you just get, you pick the ones that are, you think you're going to achieve. And some of them are pretty hard to achieve, but, um, just looking at the scores here, um, most people got three or four, only maybe t- three people got all five of them. Um, so yeah, it's really important to get them. Um, and the way they worked in this tournament, they didn't count as tournament points. They were their own separate category mm-hmm. um, of, of tiebreaker. So if someone scored, um, if two people scored 80 tournament points, one person scored four hidden agendas and one scored three, the one who scored four is going to be ranked ahead. So um, just to, so. to touch back briefly, you mentioned that the scenarios were, they were chosen by you and the players are made aware of them, yes. but then you get to choose yep. from your hidden agendas. Yeah, start of each game. Yeah, so they can kind of mitigate if you think you've got a, a loss coming up, you could you could play for yes. something your army's good at. Yeah, you absolutely want to be scoring that, that objective every game, um, even if you're going to lose, mm-hmm. because it's going to affect your final standings quite dramatically. Um, and, you know, even if you drop a game, if you win all four and, you know, everyone else drops a game, then, you know, you need those agendas to be in the in the running. Um so they're quite important to score, but not all of them are easy or possible. And we found that some people tried to do some hard ones early or, you know, if they thought they were going to win the game, they tried to do some hard ones just to save those easy ones for later in the tournament. Um, so interesting strategies that you can bring to that on that level. Yeah, that's cool. Like another another um, tactical yeah. layer that I think being able to mitigate what you think might be a loss, that's a nice touch. Yeah, and you can pre-plan as well. You, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to just be surprising yourself on the day by looking at the hidden agendas. You can come to the tournament with a battle plan. Um, and uh, the people who did obviously reap the rewards. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, we did. We did have a secondary uh, tiebreaker because sometimes people had the same number of hidden agendas. Um, and this is where I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit. Um, usually at tournaments, what happens is you use kill points. Kill points is when you kill a unit 
or a War Scrolls, as some tournaments score it, you score kill points equal to the number of uh, points that that unit was worth. So a unit of Die Wolves is worth 60 points. If you kill five, a unit of five, you score 60 kill points. Quite easy um, on the surface. But Age of Sigma now is getting more and more complex with lots of different mechanics. And how you score kill points is actually getting really hard to nail down. So, <laughs> okay. You've got endless spells now, which cost points. When, how do you score endless spells? Is it when you dispel them, which is quite ridiculous because well, you could just dispel your own spells and get points. So let's throw that one out the window. Is it when you kill all the wizards in the opponent's army that could cast spells? Do you then score the points for the endless spells? Do you score points for the endless spells only when the entire army is wiped out? Um, likewise, battalion, points for battalions. Do you score battalions when you wipe out all the units in the battalion or, again, when you wipe out the whole army? Uh, what about armies that are deliberately taking less points so they can get command points, like 1950 or 1900 points in a 2,000-point army? Um, do you score, if you wipe the whole army out, do you just score 1900 points? But if you do, isn't that unfair? Because what if you're only getting matched up against armies with 1900 points and then your opponent's getting matched up with armies that are 2,000 points? And that's going to be your tiebreaker, you know. What a so minefield! That's a that's a that's a matchup dependent thing, and and so t- it's also a real pain in the ass to actually try and score at the end of every game, yeah. trying to tally up what you scored. <laughs> Counting points, so man, I'm one, over that. Yeah, terrible. So the TO, the tournament organizer, has lots of decisions to make about kill points to make them clear to the players beforehand, so there's no um, confusion, and there inevitably will be. You know, I've never had a tournament where people have. Um, have not mucked up one of the, you know, not counted something or, you know, um, and that's meant they've finished slightly worse than they would have otherwise. And there's, that means there's more for the players to track in an otherwise, you know, very stressful event. So I just did away with kill points. I didn't use them at all. Um, and instead, I used um, a strength of schedule, which has been used in lots of tournaments around the world. And a strength of schedule takes, looks at the average tournament points that your opponent scored over the course of the game. So if your opponents, if you played opponents that did really well and won all their games, then your strength of schedule is going to be really high compared to someone who played people who lost a lot during the event. Um, and that's had a quite an interesting dynamic because in, in Masters, we had the people, um, that, you know, the, the real contenders played each other in round four. Um, and even though one lost, that person still came second. So it was a true playoff in that sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other events, if you don't use the strength of schedule like that, if it's just a Swiss pairing on kill points, then again, it's just a, it's just a, you don't know what you're going to get. It's a roll of the dice. Who are you going to face? How many kill points are you going to score? You know, some armies are better at scoring kill points than others. Some armies give up kill points more easily than other armies. So it's again, it's that luck and it's not really down to the skill. Whereas strength of schedule is a very firm, way of saying this person played four really hard opponents um so they deserve to get a better placing yeah like um, if i were so to bring my night haunt army to a tournament and it was based on kill points night haunt just mm-hmm. bleed kill points you know it's it would be yes. ridiculous <laughs> yeah yeah and some armies are really hard to get kill points from yeah. oh that's the other thing and if you've got armies that summon do you count the summoned armies as kill points <laughs> um and if so can you score more than two thousand kill points or do you cap it and if so where do you cap it all these things just so complicated um strength of schedule nice and easy the tournament to website does it for you there's even a third tie break or uh, uh yeah third tie break which is called extended strength of schedule 
So if you somehow have the same strength of schedule score as someone, one of your opponents on the final standings, you go to the extended strength of schedule, which looks at the average strength of schedule from all your opponents. Oh, my God. So to make that clear, the strength of schedule is the average tournament points, so 20 points from major. So if you played all your all your opponents won all five of their games, um, then your average would be 100 divided by five, so that's 20. That would be 20 is the very best strength of schedule you could get, but five people winning five games is impossible, so you're never going to get that. The extended strength of schedule is not the tournament points, it's the average strength of schedule for your opponent, so it's another layer removed. Um, and I'm glad I didn't have to work it out myself on a, on a spreadsheet. Um, that I'm glad that the software does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. if it come to but it's very cool, very elegant. Yeah. Man, just just get them out in the parking lot, you know, fisticuffs, <laughs> to slide it like gentlemen, be done with it. If you, yeah, exactly. If you, if you are particularly keen on a fourth tiebreaker, this software does then go to kill points. But at that point, is it really worth the hassle of tracking them if it's the fourth tiebreaker? Yeah. Um, there was only one... There was only one tie on the rankings at Masters, and it was myself and Mitch Harty um, on eleven and uh, on eleventh equal, and that was that was fine. We just we just went on eleventh equal. At that, at that point, it doesn't really matter if you've got someone who's two people on first place, for example. You might have to figure out. I think you could maybe randomise. I don't know, or have a, something up your sleeve yeah, you um, know. To, to help with that. Yeah. Um, or just go for a go for a, an equal score. I don't know. That's up to you. But I, we found that with strength of schedule, there's enough differentiation there that that you don't have to worry too much. Um, had really good feedback on the scoring, which was really cool, and I definitely want to keep doing that. Um, the Masters overall went pretty smoothly. A few games didn't go to time, so that's something to think about for next time. And I'd like to see the the paint standard go up a little bit from here. Um, but they, these are all things for the community at large to work on, and and not just not just me. So, yeah, that was pretty much it. It was a great tournament. Um, really, look, we we travelled down um, down to Kapiti, uh next year. It's in Christchurch, and I really hope that that encourages uh, the Christchurch people to get out in gaming. And I hope that us Northern Ireland people can get out and support them uh, come December 2019. That is very cool, man. It like it sounds like it was a great time. I've seen some of the pictures, you know, the armies that were really showing off there. It was just it was beautiful stuff. So yeah, it's cool to hear about a competitive event because I think there's that there's that weird loggerheads between I'm a hobbyist and I'm a competitive gamer and somehow people think near the twain shall meet. But that's that's mm. not true at all, is it? It's not true. It's a it's a misconception that if you've got that, um, I would just recommend you at least go and uh, you know have a look at some events to see meet the guys down there. Um, it's not all cutthroat. Even at masters level, some gorgeous armies. There are some people that just really got into their games. Cool. cool. Well, that's the masters. Um, I, uh, I the next event I'm running is in uh, February, February eighth and ninth or something in um, Hamilton. And that's called Over the Top. And for that event, I'm actually not having any um, uh, battlefield restrictions, like no battle line needed, you know, no maximum heroes or artillery Ooh. or anything. And there's no no um, allies limit. So you can just freely mix your units um, and with as long as it's within your Grand Alliance. Um, so that's just something a little bit different. If you guys, if anyone wants to come down for that, you can see the details on uh, WarhammerNZ.com, along with all the other events coming up. Um, yeah, 
Do you have anything else you wanted to chat about? No, I'm good. I mean, I just want to briefly touch on um, Over the Top. That was a lot of fun when I got to go along. So, you know, someone I consider myself more of a hobbyist than a gamer, but getting to go along and take part in something like that, it is still a plus. And I think, you know, you really might surprise yourself by having a great time with some people that are not out, as you say, to cut your throat and uh, (laughs) make an example of anybody. Thanks for the plug. Yeah. Yeah, we we always have a good time, and yeah, we'd love to see you there. We're also uh, the venue is in the um, Hamilton Cosy Club, the Cosmopolitan Club. So there's a on-site bar and stuff there. It's it's going to be a nice chilled weekend. Um, I think it's Age of Sigma on the Saturday and Warhammer Underworlds on the Sunday. So you can pick and choose. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, Any thoughts you'd like to end with? Um. You, you see, you've you've given me the real problem there. You asked me the question, any thoughts? And mm. generally, the answer to that is no. I try <laughs> not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thinking is for heretics. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have one from my favorite emperor of the, the empire from the world that was, uh, Maybe again, like like some of the quotes I've done before, you might be able to find parallels with um, with the real world to help you cope um, and and help you use this hobby as the escapism. It so clearly is. Here we go. <clears throat> Remember, when you build a wall to shelter behind, you are also building a trap. If the wall is strong and flanked by towers, the enemies will be trapped. But if the wall is carried, then the other walls will hem in your defenders and leave them ripe for massacre. Magnus the Pious. Second war against chaos. No, no analogs there with, uh, no, <laughs> with- no there's, there's not really. I thought it started strong. Um, and then there actually, it's going to be completely irrelevant for most people. <sighs> All right, Troy, I'll talk to you next time. You certainly will. Be good, Mr. Tim. Take care, everyone.